From Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvocate. We are law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvocate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 p.m. on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvocate.com and check out our social media pages. Well, good morning, Dr. Diana. Thanks for joining us today on The Podvocate. Hi, Becca. Um, Thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you giving me um, a platform. Let's start off by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and just share where you work and, and what you're currently doing, Dr. Diana. Yes, um, I am Dr. Diana Uchiyama. I'm the executive director of the Illinois Lawyers Assistance Program. It's a not-for-profit that helps judges, lawyers, and law students with mental health, substance use, and other problematic behaviors. Um, And the uh, goal of the organization is to uh, maintain confidentiality with immunity while people get the help they need so that they have long, healthy careers um, with very little interference from the problems they may currently be experiencing. And in this role, what does your day-to-day look like? Well, it requires a lot of flexibility, but I have a full caseload of uh, judges, lawyers, and law students. We also, uh, my deputy director, Tony Passioni, who is uh, fantastic in his own right, We have a get help uh, email request, and we also take phone calls. Um, Sometimes people message me on LinkedIn, um, all sorts of varieties of access to us. And we prioritize those quickly uh, because we wanna get someone assessed in a relatively short time to determine their needs. Um, But I also have therapy schedules. I do presentations. uh, quite often, um, sometimes about 30 a quarter. Um, and then I get phone calls from people who have workforce issues, may have someone in crisis. I may get a law student reaching out about another law student, uh, a law school who's concerned about certain behaviors, a firm, an organization. And all those things take place on an individual basis. So I try to maintain some level of flexibility um, so that I can uh, help those in need as does Tony. Uh, But, you know, um, we do a lot of things and in in each day um, and respond to emails in a timely fashion as often as we can. But we are a small organization that services the whole state. Uh, And so, you know, we um, are challenged with meeting the needs of an ever increasing population who is struggling. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Diana. That was a good description of the work that LAP does. So you brought up LAP being, you know, a statewide organization. And so I know that your day-to-day, of course, right now involves doing a lot of work um, with direct services and, and working with the Illinois legal community specifically. But you yourself, you know, are also part of the legal, the legal world in a different way. So can you speak a little bit about your law school experience, Dr. Diana? So um, 
You know, I come from a family of immigrants um, and education was highly stressed. What I knew for sure was that I did not want to become a doctor, uh, much to the chagrin of my father, but um, higher education being promoted, uh, that is often the way out uh, for children of immigrants, right? We came here, my parents came here from two different countries and we didn't have a lot of money. So education was looked at as the view, the lens toward achievement and toward changing uh, economic status. And so I, you know, obviously I went off to college. Um, I didn't know that people didn't go to college uh, until my senior year of high school. And it was shocking to me. So I was always on the pathway to higher education. And then I studied abroad my senior year and um, applied for law school while I was abroad. Only, you know, um, when I think back, I was pretty much in a formation stage. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Uh, I wanted to help others. That was what uh, value-based was provided to me by my parents. There was always a give back phenomena that you never forget where you came from and you always give back uh, to others. And so um, because I didn't want to be a doctor, I knew that in, you know, in the bottom of my toes to the top of my head, uh, law became a great option and I never was interested in a career path um, that wasn't dedicated to meeting the needs of people from lower socioeconomic classes. Okay, that's really interesting to hear about, you know, the importance of education. I'm also uh, the daughter of immigrants, so I definitely relate to to that push. Um, and also, you know, obviously the privilege that comes with with access to to higher education as well. So in a lot of ways, I'm really hearing about your desire to want to help people. Could you speak a little bit to what that desire looked like in your career choice after law school, as well as your pivot, uh, Dr. Diana, to a new career? Sure. You know, it's complicated because the choices we make in the moment don't always, aren't necessarily clear to us. But I also have a younger brother who's disabled. And I think that I always felt very uh, protective of him um, and uh, would speak up on his behalf against injustices. And so I think that formed, um, you know, if I didn't have a brother with a disability, if I didn't have parents of immigrant status, you know, I think where we come from always shapes who we become, whether we like it or not. Um, and there was this investment in me in order to provide to others in some manner or capacity. But I wouldn't have been able to identify that earlier on other than I was, uh, when I went to law school and because I'm a, a product of immigrants, I didn't have any mentors. I didn't have any people to ask about career paths. That wasn't really, you know, a, a big thing when I was growing up. And I was just navigating the waters kind of blindly because my parents didn't know anyone. And um, even when I went to law school, mentorship wasn't a key uh, component of it. And, you know, it was kind of like swimming in dark, murky water where you're trying to go somewhere, but it's often difficult to find out where you're going. What I think shaped me pretty um, important, like critical moments was when I clerked 
uh, for agencies or worked for agencies um, that were defined uh, by non-mission-based things, I didn't thrive and prosper, I guess. I would find myself fatigued. I would find myself disinterested. I wouldn't have high motivation. And then when I clerked for agencies where there was some focus on a values-driven, mission-oriented kind of um, outcome, I was boots on the ground, super invested in the work. And it took me a long time to figure out what it was, but I um, determined that, um, you know, because I didn't grow up with a lot, money achievement wasn't as important to me as the values-driven aspect of my work. And then uh, when I came back, uh, I went to law school in California, it became clear to me I did send out resumes to big law and other firms. And when I would interview, I just paid a lot of attention, I guess what we call now mindfulness of, yeah, this seems very uninspiring for me. Um, and then when I interviewed in the criminal justice field, I was very motivated, very inspired, very hopeful that I would get a job. And it was really hard back then to get a job. And um, I interviewed for both the state's attorney and public defender's office. And the public defender's office contacted me. Randolph Stone uh, was the public defender at the time. And I looked at him as the greatest mentor in my life. Uh, he ended up leaving about a year and a half after I left, but he inspired me in a way that he has no idea because he was so mission driven. I never really been around anyone like that until um, like outside of my family system, it was so inspiring to me and I knew I had found my people. Uh, now I worked uh, diligently in that field for a very long time, over a decade. And I wouldn't say that I tired of it ever. I loved it. I loved the people. They pretty much raised me, if I have to be honest. I was very young when I became a lawyer. And um, they, they influenced and shaped me. So many of them were so kind to me, invested in me. And for a large portion of my career, when I first started, I felt like an imposter. That's something that I speak about. And people who are of immigrant status, people of minority status, we all feel that, but nobody voices it. So I was really doubting my skills. I was doubting my abilities. And people place such great faith on, in me, despite my doubts, that um, it really motivated me to get better. And, um, and when I look back, I look back with great pride. But the other thing that was also interesting to me was, um, you know, I got married uh, during uh, my time at the PD's office. I had children. Um, I uh, found it harder and harder to balance. I think that's something that we don't talk about. And my kids were born in a short amount of time. And there was no part-time. There was no job share. Um, I had to you know, I kind of was facing a reckoning of how do I balance this um, and raise good kids? Um, and that was a real struggle for me because I come from a traditional family-based value system, which I think still influences me greatly, uh, despite my independence, despite my career. 
And it really became apparent to me that I was very concerned about how to raise good children and wanted more balance. So I started taking classes and, uh, um, and then slowly uh, transitioned into the field of mental health, first getting my master's in, on a part-time basis. And then after that, really recognizing that I'm a lifelong learner and it creates a passion in me. And as long as the mission is there, I find a great sense of satisfaction. Um, and I think in the reinvention stage, it increased my longevity in the giving back and the values-based uh, work that I do, because I think oftentimes we burn out without recognizing it because we give so much of us our, ourselves to the work um, that we develop a lot of problems as a result of that, whether it's substance use, mental health, suicidal thinking, because there's only so much of us to give and the law doesn't teach us how to take care of ourselves while we do this very difficult work. Definitely. And I think you're so right that sometimes um, it, it comes from such a great place to be so, it's always so good to be mission driven, but striking that balance between being able to give to your mission and, and also give enough to yourself so that you can, you know, sustain that, that passion, I think is such an important lesson for, for everyone in whatever work they do, but especially for those that are, you know, working in public interest law fields and, and really you know, wanting to give so much, um, just being mindful of that. Um, like you said, that mindfulness piece about as something that you maybe didn't see in some of the first, some of those agencies you mentioned. Yeah. And I, I know that we've talked about your presentations and that ability to connect directly in the work you do with members of the legal community in your, you know, sessions and such, but also in a very, you know, public speaking platform manner as well. Um, can you speak a little bit to, I know obviously uh, some of those were virtual. Um, you're doing a lot more of those in person again, but is there a presentation maybe that, a presentation topic that you feel really excited about talking about lately or that you feel has been requested a lot? Um, and can you speak a little bit to, not necessarily, you know, the request, but more about, what those topics are and maybe what are some of the tips and tricks that you you share in those presentations? Sure. Um, so I would say like, you know, there's always um, points of interest where, you know, uh, from a legal perspective, a lot of people talk about emotional intelligence, but from a psychological, as a doctor in psychology, we don't talk about it in those terms, right? Those are buzzwords that come from non-clinicians. Um, but I think what we, uh, in the presentations that are recently being requested, uh, you know, always recognizing and referring a colleague in need, how do I know? What do I do? Um, I think we're paralyzed. And if I was a non-clinician, as an attorney, I was surrounded by dysfunction, but I would say, is it, should I say something? Is it my job? Um, if I do, will they be angry at me? And so sometimes we often turn a blind eye. So that's a very popular one. And then I would say compassion, fatigue, and burnout, right? People are coming out of COVID, aren't as healthy as they were going into COVID. It's kind of accelerated or uh, highlighted some of the 
problems that they're experiencing. And so that's a big one. Vicarious trauma. As a trauma-trained uh, um, psychologist, I do a lot of work in this field because a lot of fields are um, secondary trauma fields. And so we don't recognize that we're changing over time. And then also stress, right? How do I manage my stress? You know, that oftentimes we're type A personalities who are very competitive, we're perfectionists, um, who have high standards for ourselves and others. And we really um, sometimes uh, get aggressive, uh, both at work and at home. And we convince ourselves because we're an attorney that that's okay, or we don't know how to directly communicate. And then we complain to others. And, and so, you know, another one that I just, I wrote an article for recently in the Illinois Bar Journal is destructive anger, right? Whether it's passive or direct, um, being an attorney doesn't excuse you from the ramifications of inappropriate management of high conflict, high stress environments. And so we try to, you know, speak the truth and then just say, here's what you need to know. You need to learn how to self-manage better, right? Just because you do that, just because that's your natural tendency doesn't give you an excuse to not manage it appropriately. So what we try to do is give people strategies. You know, do you know that you should give yourself a time out if you're highly emotional? And if you were uh, grew up in a family system where you didn't express yourself directly because you got punished, are you still doing that? Because that can be toxic. So the, um, the learning of new skills is incumbent on all of us. Uh, and just because we've always done it one way doesn't mean it's appropriate. I find myself always, um, you know, having to check in and to apologize, which is hard for people like us. We don't like saying I'm the one that's wrong. And oftentimes we engage in conversation to convince others why they're wrong and not right. Um, and, and so we lose connection in various ways um, in our methodology. And so we just try to highlight how do you manage yourself better under high stress conditions? How do you engage more appropriately, not just with people in the legal community, but your family systems, people in your environment, so that you can thrive and prosper, not just in one field, but in many fields and have a full life. We're not just attorneys. We're not just lawyers. We're not just law students. We must recognize the reality of who we are and our own deficits and strengths. Definitely. And I, I think that's, I think as law students, oftentimes, you know, we're, we're thinking a lot about, okay, which areas of the law do I, do I like most or, or which, which way am I going to go? Um, and I think it's always important to, to keep in mind that like having grace with yourself and being more than one thing is okay. And it's okay to not have all the answers, but I think something I've really enjoyed on the podcast, my episodes, this this semester and last semester is really playing and thinking about people that are maybe straddling different legal worlds or different parts of the law. And so I really like hearing some of the insights that, you know, you've gathered obviously from all this time, but also from trying something new and, you know, applying your legal skills in this new setting. Um, it's just what a, what a better, like, it's about that lifelong learning, like you said. Um, so it's cool. You know, I, there is no one equation, right? right. There's not one thing fits everyone. 
And frankly, through my greatest mistakes have been my greatest learning. I don't look at mistakes as failure. It took me a long time to get there because I felt such heat or shame when something didn't work out right that I thought would be uh, a really good fit. But along the way, I accumulated information about what makes me thrive and prosper, right? What what do I need in order to really be happy where work doesn't wear me out, right? And and that only came through good and bad, right? And so I would tell every law student out there, if you don't know, that's more normal than knowing, right? And if you try something and you don't like it, do not get boxed in thinking this is the only thing I know. Law school teaches you really important analytical skills that can be transferred in a hundred different ways, right? And so sometimes we think, well, this is all I've ever done. This is all I know. And I work with a lot of people in career changes and transitions. And I say, well, just because you've always done this, why does it mean you must do this? If it made you miserable in the last chapter, why can't you look at something that might make you happier? What did this teach you that is missing and what do you need now to thrive and prosper? And that can change across the lifespan, right? Some people are traditional thinkers, right? They want one breadwinner um, who fronts the family system, which is fine, but just know that about yourself. And then others are mission-driven like myself, values-driven. Others are economic-driven. And if that's the case, own it, right? But know that with each one, we need to protect, it's kind of like bowling. Uh, when you first start, you have the bumpers on the side. You need to guard against all the bad things that can happen with high pressure jobs, right? There comes physical decline. There comes stressors, right? With high money, high billable hours. If you know that, you need to do things, strategies that are healthy, not unhealthy, because the unhealthy will undermine you in the long term. And with mission driven, you must recognize that compassion, fatigue, burnout, vicarious trauma are huge roles that we have to guard against in order to stay healthy. So all of them create challenges, but if we know going in, we can get better at putting our bumpers in place to protect ourselves as often as possible. And it's not a new year's resolution. It's a continual check-in to see how you're doing um, and what's missing, what do I need, what makes me thrive and prosper, and being honest with yourself. Definitely. And something you mentioned, you know, a little bit earlier in terms of the analytical skills that that we cover in in law school. And I feel like people sometimes say, like, think like a lawyer or, you know, that type of that type of verbiage around you know, just what we're really taught to do and, and how we analyze and read so much and, and craft arguments and consider the other side. So I guess what what else comes to mind for you when you think about what it means to think like a lawyer? And maybe how has your career pivot impacted or expanded that definition for you? Well, I can tell you that my body of evidence about think like a lawyer, every lawyer I meet, Thinks differently, whether you went to law school or not. So it's uh, to, to use one saying to categorize the whole legal community is false, right? And I think that 
we use these platitudes, these one-liners, and then, you know, we ourselves and say, I'm falling short of that. I don't, you know, what does that mean? I don't feel that way. I still feel this way. And I would just say, you know, that because we all come from different places and um, have different skill bases, think like a lawyer is a strategic thing that you come out with some skills. Some people have different skills that they develop along the way, whether they want to be a trial attorney, whether they want to be a research attorney, um, what makes you thrive and prosper more, right? So I would say that the think like a, a lawyer is more like a U-curve, that there's a lot of variety around that, um, and that each one is necessary for our legal community, but not to feel like you got shoved into a box that's not working for you. So I would say that, um, that in my transition to mental health was this desire to go back to what I knew, what I thrived in, what, what I knew I could do and had an expertise at doing. And there's always fear involved with change and that you have to push through that to get to the other side, that that's normal. We don't talk about fear being a barrier to change. And it is, it's a real thing. I was terrified. And I remember one of my first exercises um, in my master's program was interviewing a client. And um, I thought I did remarkable. And I remember my, my um, teacher, he's like, um, you know, uh, Diana, the whole exercise is related to being a clinician and not a lawyer, um, and you were acting like a lawyer. And that part was hard for me to give up, right? That speed was hard for me to give up. And, um, you know, just when I would doubt myself, I would say, I probably should go back. And then I remember age, thinking age was a barrier. And I remember saying, oh, God, who's going to come to me by the time I graduate, you know? And I remember having a conversation with a friend and my spouse, and they both said, well, I'm not going to go to someone who's 22. I wouldn't feel comfortable with that. I would go to you. And it was this epiphany because I was stuck in one way of thinking and looking for the barriers so that I didn't have to push through the fear of doing something different. And even if I failed at it, is that a mistake? You know, it's not. It's just, you know, I think that we're, you know, I know this about myself. I'm a lifelong learner. If I had a guarantee of five more decades on this planet, I, you know, I could transform again and do something different because I do believe it gives me a sense of energy. I take classes, CLEs as much as I can because I don't think I'm a finished product ever and I don't think anyone else should. So I would say think like a lawyer it's a transformation time. You can learn new skills. You can do things differently. You can get better in certain areas or try new areas. So don't use Think Like a Lawyer to narrow your lane. Use it to expand that I have this huge body of skills that um, require additional trainings and I am not finished and need to continue to push myself in areas where I wanna go but I fear a little bit and know that it's normal to be that way. That's great, Dr. Diana. And do you have any 
any final uh do you have any final words of advice for law students in particular right now that you'd like to leave leave our listeners with sure you know i think um we have to be honest that the law is a difficult field in many ways right that we can get bamboozled by things that are not necessarily in our best interest, right? Um, but we need to know who we are first in order to figure out where, what makes us tick, what makes us thrive and prosper. And for all of us, it's different. And just owning that is a really important piece, right? Because we are, because of our type A competitive and people pleasing personalities, we sometimes do things for others rather than for ourselves. And I would ask you at this point, what do you want to do? What do you want to try? What do you want to learn? And then try to create a pathway that gets you closer to attaining that. Sorry. Try to attain a pathway that gets you closer to that attainment whether it's filled with uh, pitfalls, it doesn't matter. What did you learn from the experience? So life is not linear. Careers are not linear. You can have many dips, right? But where is it taking you? And, and I tell people set short-term and long-term goals, right? Where do you wanna be? Uh, if we're not moving toward a target, we can stagnate and we can not thrive and prosper. So I would say short-term goals leading to longer-term goals. And if you don't know what the long-term goal is, just that I want to improve my skills. I want to try these things and move toward them. And so I would just say, um, you know, know that life is full of dips um, and uh, really great moments and that we need to learn how to use both of them to uh, accomplish as much as we can during this lifetime and never ever let fear of change be an obstacle to doing what's in your best interest. Thank you, Dr. Diana. You're welcome. It was so good to see you. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Paulitz. Our associate editors are Naka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make this show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been The Podvocate.